Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 181 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Uh, battling a bit of a flu, to be honest. A bit of a flu, but aside from that, everything is okay. The show must go on. Let's start with a review part, as always. We're going to start at the Matami Event Centre in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Once again, we said it on last week's show, Fabio Maldonado, the man that was supposed to fight Nathan Gorman last weekend. Well, not last weekend, because that's the fight that we're talking about when he took on this guy here. But the week before that, when Nathan Gorman fought Kevin Kingpin Johnson, it was supposed to be Maldonado. He pulled out, I believe, with an injury or something like that. But anyway, he turned up seven days later in Ontario, like I say. And... um yeah, he, he took on Alexander Teslenko, a Ukrainian fighter based in Canada. It ended up going the distance, which is very unlikely, actually. Very unusual, I should say, for Maldonado's fights. They tend to end early. I think all but, all but two in, 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 uh, in 27 outings have gone very early, uh, or, or certainly within the distance. But anyway, Teslenko's now 16-0. and It was for the vacant NABA heavyweight title, a unanimous decision there over 10 rounds. Also on the bill, Castillo Clayton moved to 16-0, and a knockout in round 6 against friend of the show, former world champion Demarcus Corley. Quite sad there, because Corley doesn't you know, he doesn't often get stopped, but he got stopped here. A knockout in round six. His record now 51 and 33 with one draw. Custio Clayton, though, 16 and 0. Could be one to look out for there. Moving out now to the Ulster Hall in Belfast, Northern Ireland, United Kingdom. This show was shown on IFL TV, a MTK Global show. As soon as I saw that the main event was Comrade Cummins against Luke Keeler, I already saw their first fight. It wasn't close, and Luke Keeler won it pretty pretty easily. Um, I'm told that this fight was a complete barn burner, a real argument for fight of the year, um, but I didn't watch it, unfortunately, and it was the same outcome, another unanimous decision for Luke Keeler, I looked at the scorecards, he won it very wide once again, please don't don't make a third fight, Comrade Cummings doesn't need to take another L, but his record is now 16-3 with one draw. He was for the WBO European middleweight title. Luke Keeler now 16-2 and with one draw. Uh, Stephen Ward picked up win number 10 there on the undercard against Josip Perkovic. A unanimous decision over eight there. Stephen Ward now 10-0. and uh, Another win there for Tyrone McKenna. He's now 18-1 and with one draw. Points win over six rounds against Oscar Amador. Um, Steve Collins Jr. picked up win number 14. He's got two losses and a draw, a points win over six against Arturs Kolkowskis, who is now 18 and 40 with seven draws. Um... Yeah, it was what it was, that one, really. Moving out now to the Seagulls Rugby League Club in Tweed Heads, uh, New, New, New South Wales, uh, Australia, of course. This one over here, we saw Jason Maloney, the uh, the guy that crashed out of the World Boxing Super Series, one half of the Maloney Twins. He moved to 18 wins. He's got the one loss. It was a knockout in round five against Chris Paulino, who's now 19-4. and four. It was for the WBA Oceana Bantamweight title. Maloney, a good 
fighter. Um, moving out now to Bilbao, though, at the Payes Vasco in, in uh, the Bilbao Arena, Spain. Unbelievable, this one, by the way. We saw Kerman Leharaga, 27-0, took on David Avanesian, friend of the show, the Russian that's been out there to the States, fought the likes of Mosley, fought the likes of Peterson, fought the likes of Igis Kavalowskis. Uh, you know, he certainly had the experience, in my opinion, over Leharaga. I said that on last week's show. It was for the EBU European welterweight title, Leharaga's belt. And yeah, Leharaga himself got knocked out in round nine. An absolutely huge upset there uh, for Avanesian. But like I say, not in my eyes. I actually thought that Avanesian would win on points, but he was able to stop him. I think he had him down once or twice early on in the fight also, if I'm not mistaken. But a great finish. And the referee jumped in and stopped it after he took a real hiding and a real series of unanswered shots in that ninth and final round. But I've got to say, Leharaga's quite a classy guy. You know, he, 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 you know, he took his belt out and um, you know just kind of waved goodbye to it and showed it to the fans in the arena and basically handed it over to Avanesian right there and then himself so he's a classy guy and you know perhaps we'll see a rematch I'm not quite sure but Avanesian now as I'm sure you'll agree this makes the Josh Kelly fight much much bigger after he lost that fight on the day of the actual fight being scheduled when he lost that fight from his from his grips and it wasn't going to happen he didn't really have many other places to, to turn to I mean I spoke to his manager and his manager said to me well we're looking at the Leharaga fight, and um, you know, I thought, well, that's not going to pay the same, surely, and also you're going to have to go to Bilbao for it, and you're not going to get any luck on the scorecards, but he didn't need those judges, and it's a brilliant thing here for him, really, really pleased for him, but um, a, a cracking win, we, we certainly want to see that Josh Kelly fight, like I say, as I'm sure that you agree, Avanesian now 24-3 and with one draw, and Leharaga served up his first L, 27-1, and Bradley Skeet couldn't do it, and and uh, Frankie Gavin couldn't do it. But that's it for Spain. Moving out now to Southampton at the Novotel. I, as I heard that you like to take the women here every every Friday or Saturday. Uh, Joe Pickford, he moved to 15-0, and a TKO in round three against Adam Grabeach. I've seen him on the circuit before. He's now 7-25, and 25, a journeyman there. But good stuff for Pickford to get the stoppage. A very good fighter. Uh, very underrated. I want to see him moved on. I want to see him signed with a big promoter, to be honest. Moving out now, though, to the Echo Arena in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom, the Sky Sports card. Um... Yeah, it was a bit of a mad one, to be honest. Natasha Jonas moved to seven wins. She's got the one loss, a points win over six against Farish Mashauri. Uh, it wasn't the best fight, to be honest. Uh, Mashauri now seven and three. Natasha Jonas, of all the ladies that have turned over, the likes of Nicola Adams, the likes of Katie Taylor, Chantel Cameron, the rest of them, she's just trailing. Not in the looks department, by the way, but just trailing in the in the boxing department. Obviously, that loss to Vivian Obanalf. Um Moving up the card once again, Paul Butler. Butler returned. He moved to 28 wins. He's got two losses, a points win over six against Fadihi Majiha, who's now 23 and 13 with four draws. Not really sure the point of that fight, to be honest. Craig Glover, the uh, the, the, the the prospect, he had he had nine wins, one loss going into this fight against Vaclav Pejar, who is now 14 and seven because Pejar was able to TKO Craig Glover in the second round. He was also down in the first round. Glover, um, a huge upset there. I think. The Glover is something to do with Tony Bellew. I think Bellew perhaps manages him. Uh, That was drama. And moving up the card once again... 
four fights to mention really here. The four big ones, the four ones that were televised. Well, also the uh, Natasha Jonas fight was televised, but the other four, the the big four, if you like, David Price, I as twenty three and six now twenty four and six. Not the way we expected the fight to go. We didn't really think it'd go the distance, but um, we certainly didn't see it ending under these circumstances. Cash Ali really let himself down. He was going into the fight with a record of fifteen and zero, if I'm not mistaken, and um, it's a real shame. I mean, what a way to lose your own, getting disqualified for something completely stupid. I mean, it wasn't like he was hitting him low by accident repeatedly or the heads went in a few times accidentally. There's absolutely no reason why you should lunge forward and try and bite your man. And, um, yeah, it was mad because he had a point deducted for doing it um, in the... Uh, no, sorry, he had a point deducted for pulling um, for pulling Price's head down, I believe, in, in the earlier rounds. But he certainly bit David Price in the earlier rounds. And then he once again bit him. I mean, he got told off the first time. There was a little mark, I think, on Price's shoulder. And then, of course, the final time was just unbelievable. The bite mark was so clear. And he's really let himself down. What did you make of the fight, though, Ayaz? Um, I mean, what can I say, Cash Ali? I mean, to be fair, I mean, it wasn't the best performance from David Price, to be fair. David Price should have got him out really early. I mean, he was obviously, David Price did, did good. Cash, Cash Ali was going for him again. At one point, David David Price actually hurt Cash Ali. Towards, the, uh, obviously, the fifth round, when David Price actually hurt him, Cash Ali was just holding on to him and bit him. I mean, that shouldn't, that shouldn't happen in boxing. I mean, it's two performances that David Price hasn't really performed really well. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's got to disqualify. Uh, Cash Ali got disqualified. And it's a win record for David Price. Yeah, it was interesting while it lasted. I mean, Price was on the back foot in the first round. And straight away, I thought, oh dear. You know, Cash Alley was backing him up. In the second round, though, that was where Price actually started coming out on the front foot kind of thing. In the third round, like I say, that was where uh, Ali had a point took off. He was he was starting to throw desperate overhand rights as well. And um, that was where he, you know, he pulled his head down, had that point took off. And also, Price was investing in the body. And I quite liked the look of his right hooks to the body. He was doing really well with those. And then, yeah, like I say, you know, the fourth round was a decent round. Price was coming on strong in the fifth round and the final round. Like I say, it was just about heating up, really. Price looked in trouble himself. And then I'd even say it was big trouble. And then he found the big shot out of nowhere. He wobbled Ali and Ali held on. And that's when the pair fell on the floor. And for no reason, completely unprovoked, Ali bit him again. And that was the second time. And the referee DQ'd him. I mean, it wasn't clear to see what happened initially. When the referee waved it off, I was gutted, to be honest, because Ali was having a good round. I mean, until he... You know, until he got hurt a few seconds before the pair fell on the floor. But, he, he, you know, he started the round great. He was really hitting Price with clean shots. Price looked in all ty- all types of trouble. And then you'd have never thought at the start, you know, during that, that attack on Price, that by the end of the round, Ali would be disqualified for biting him once again. It was just absolutely stupid. He's really let himself down there. What a way to lose your undefeated record. Moving up the bill once again, though. Joe Hughes, 17 and 4 now with one draw. He took on friend of the show, Robbie Davies Jr., 17 and, or sorry, 18 and 1. Uh, it was for Robbie Davies' British title and also Joe Hughes' European uh, super lightweight title. A brilliant win there for Robbie Davies Jr. I think one or two of the cards was was you know, a bit wide in my opinion. I think it was a very close fight, a kind of like 7-5, 8-4 perhaps type fight. I think that the right man did get it. Um... 
I wasn't strictly scoring it either, but you know that's a fight where we all predicted a win there for Robbie Davies Jr. So uh, that happened. We all gain a point there on the predictions. We all also thought that Price, I think, would win by knockout. No one saw a DQ, so that didn't count there. No one gained a point. But like I said, a good win there for Robbie Davies Jr. and his manager Neil Marsh uh, also manages David Avanesian. So he, you know, he went into the into Saturday with two guys fighting for European titles and both men got the wins and uh, that's brilliant for him he's now got two European champions on his hands we'll be speaking to him later on in the show uh, moving up the card once again I as this one was unbelievable Anthony Fowler 9 and 0 took on Scott Fitzgerald 12 and 0 a split decision over 10 for Scott Fitzgerald, he he beats Anthony Fowler. It was for the vacant WBA International Super Welterweight title. Of course, Fitzgerald, on the day of the weigh-in, struggled a little bit to make the weight. He made it on the third attempt. And, um, yeah, the fight was, was... I mean, it was okay for the first few rounds. It wasn't a bad fight. It was interesting. Um, I think Fowler was doing really well with his jab and stuff like that. I will go into more detail in just a moment. But obviously, the drama really came in the later part of the fight where where Fowler was dropped in the 10th and final round, but he was able to survive and it went to points. And uh, I think I I, I actually had it a draw, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to check my scorecard in a second. But very, very good fight. And I wouldn't complain about a rematch happening there. But um, brilliant stuff for Scott Fitzgerald. Gerald Ayers, no one backed him to win on points at all. I mean, yeah, what a performance by Scott Fitzgerald. I mean, at the start, I mean, you can tell for the first set, first two, three rounds, right? Anthony Fowler was winning the rounds, in my opinion. Anthony Fowler was backing him up, hitting him with a jab. I mean, his head movements, like, obviously, as the later rounds went on, Scott Fitzgerald was hit, um, hit, hitting him really, like, with a jab, using the hook. I mean, Scott Fitzgerald, to be fair, like he had, he was much bigger on the on the on the night. You could see the the size of him, his muscle, four, five, six, seven. I had I had all the rounds to Scott Fitzgerald, and round eight I had Anthony Fowler, round nine I had Scott Fitzgerald, and then that's when it came to the last round. And, I, and in Mark, um, we saw obviously Anthony Fowler was winning the point, fight at one point, but then when it got to round ten, you could see that Scott Fitzgerald could have, in my opinion, Scott Fitzgerald could have actually stopped Anthony Fowler, but decided not to because he was just wanted to showboat. But I mean, it's a big win for Scott Fitzgerald. It reminded me a bit of the George Griffith, um, uh, George Griffith, James Decker fight when they were both about to become rising stars, and George Griffith went on to win the fight, and he was the underdog. And James DeGale was the main guy that was going to win this fight. It reminded me of that fight a bit. And you can see, like, um, Scott Fitzgerald, um, obviously, he was the only mate. He was a huge underdog going into this fight. But, I mean, it's a big win. But I'll tell you something. Andy Fowler will come back. I mean, he's, he, in my eyes, I think he's a great fighter. And I think he'll, ba- he'll bounce back. I mean, it's just a le- for him, it's just a learning game. Obviously, they both they both fought in the amateurs. Um, Andy Fowler won in that fight. But, obviously, in the pro ranks, Scott Fitzgerald won. I think there will be a rematch. But I, I, I think... I think let them let them progress in their career, and then hopefully they'll meet sometime in the future. Yeah, very well said, Ayaz. Um, going through the fight, I mean, in, in my opinion, that the first round was very close. I think that both men got off with good jabs. I felt that there was probably more activity coming from Fowler, but it was a good round. I gave the first one to Fowler. The second round was another close round. I think Fowler started well. Fitzgerald finished well. I think Fowler once again just about edged it. But like I say, the first two rounds were real close, and he just on my card edged both of them, and that's probably where some people will straight away disagree with my scorecard, and that's why I had it very close at the end, because those first two rounds I gave 
to Fowler. Um, I also gave him the third round, actually. Once again, he displayed some great jabs. He was popping the head back multiple times of um, of Fitzgerald, and there was just more variety in Fowler's work. The pair also did have a moment each where they landed two big shots, but like I say, three rounds to zero for Fowler. Very controversial. Um, in the fourth, it was a better round for Fitzgerald. Fowler actually had to dig deep. He looked like he was starting to feel the pace of the fight, so certainly there, a Fitzgerald round. The fifth round, there was great, great head movement from Fitzgerald. I was really, really impressed with that. Um, once again, it was a close round. It was hard to really split the pair. There was a head clash that caused the cut on Fowler's eye, and I actually had that 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 uh, that that fifth round a 10-10 round, to be honest with you. And I don't like doing that, but I had it a 10-10. Um, in the sixth round, I felt like Fitzgerald was was you know fighting to a game plan. He was he was he was brilliant the way. He kept himself so cool. He was real composed in there. Uh, he definitely won that round. You know, he had he had the confidence in his work. He was busier than Fowler. So I had it three two with one with one drawn round there after six. Going into the seventh round, that was where the commentary team gave the round to Fitzgerald. But I actually thought that Fowler did enough despite eating two big right hands late on. So there, I had it four two to Fowler with one split round after seven. Um, in the I think it's the where are we now the the eighth round here um a definite Fitzgerald round I was like I said really shocked how fresh he looked in there um you know he had been the distance before in a 10 rounder I believe Anthony Fowler hadn't been past six perhaps that was playing a part there uh in the ninth round like I say a crazy start to the round from Fowler he absolutely pasted Fitzgerald around the ring he looked on the verge of getting the stoppage actually and Fitzgerald could not get out of the way he really showed a real granite chin and he ate some huge shots you know hooks uppercuts the lot and to his credit he soaked up the pressure and he actually finished pretty strong himself so certainly a foul around very very easy round to score so that's five three with one drawn round of course that means I've got uh, I've got Fitzgerald trailing by two points going into the last round but of course it was a 10-8 round so a draw on my card but anyway in that 10th round you mentioned there I as down went Fowler he was hurt badly and the initial shot that hurt him was the massive right uppercut followed by three left hooks Fowler went down heavy the legs were gone he got back up he held on credit to him for that he had to answer some huge questions but yeah it was quite frustrating when Fitzgerald backed off of Fowler it was like a a real stupid thing to do in a fight that close, you know. Um, I thought that they could have jobbed him on the cards, really, but he seemed to be quite confident that they wouldn't because he backed off of him. And really, in a fight, like I say, that close, you want to be going in for the knockout there. You shouldn't leave it in the judge's hands, but thankfully the right man won. Well, that's in many people's eyes. In my eyes, I think it was a draw. So I'd have I'd have been turning in a, a drawn scorecard there. So thank God I wasn't a judge on the panel. But um, yeah, you know, a bit silly of him to not get the, you know, to not try and get, get the knockout. He really laid off of him. And uh, yeah, that 10-8 round had it a draw on my scorecard. But that is about it for that one. Both men rack up a draw. So unbelievably, when we say someone's O's got to go, not necessarily, not necessarily. They're still undefeated, both men. Going into the main event though, Liam Smith, former world champion, 26-2 and with one draw, took on Sam Eggington, 24-5. and It was for the vacant WBC silver super welterweight title. Not quite sure what either man have done to 
really deserved to fight for the silver title, but it is what it is. It ended up being a TKO in the fifth round. For me, it was very obvious to see. I think um, I, I thought before the fight that Smith would get the knockout within six rounds, perhaps even within four rounds. It ended up taking him five rounds, but yeah, it was a formality for me before the fight, unfortunately. Um, Smith was just the number of levels above his man. He was, you know, he was, he was in a totally one-sided fight. Um, it was sad to see Eggington being fed to a guy like Smith. I mean, you've got to suspect that Barry Hearn's soft spot for Eggington has evaporated. It was a total mismatch, and we all knew it going in, I felt. It was a terrible main event. It wasn't worthy of being a main event. I said that all along. I hope that Eggington got paid well, and I think he should probably hang up the gloves, to be honest. I mean, he's achieved some great, great things. He hoped to just be a journeyman, and, you know, he was much more than that. He did a lot of fantastic stuff. He brought us some big nights, brought us some great wins. Um, you know the Malinaji win you know a few others and stuff like that and um, even the, uh, the, the the Frankie Gavin win I mean he, he really exceeded expectations and he's had a great career but I can't really see him going anywhere now after all the punishment he's took um, any f- closing words really there eyes on the Liam Smith Eggington fight or, or or nothing? I mean it was just a good win for Liam obviously getting back to winning ways I mean he does I mean I, I think he'll, he'll fight for a world title in the future but a fight that I'd like to see him fight would be Kell Brook against him. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that is a good fight, actually. That, that, that'd, be a, that'd be an interesting fight, I've got to say so. Um, moving out now, though, to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA. One fight to mention over here, really. Ryan Garcia, 17-0, uh, took on Jose Lopez, 20-3 with one draw. Uh, Lopez was actually down in round two, and then he didn't want to come out for round three. He retired on his stall, so another stoppage win there for Ryan Garcia, uh, the, the the new father, of course. Uh, moving out now to the Grand Theatre in New Albany, Indiana, USA. Friend of the show, Dusty Hernandez Harrison, returned to the ring after about three years out of it. He picked up a win. Uh, he's now 31-0 and with one draw, a knockout in the first round against Bruce Rumbles, who's now 22-36 and with two draws. Welcome back, Dusty, a good fighter. I'd like to see him pushed on. Like I say, he was, he was world-ranked with the IBF at welterweight, and then... Just as he was kind of closing in on, I think, perhaps the top seven or eight places, something like that, he, uh, you know, I'm guessing he ran into some promotional problems and he hasn't fought since. Still a young guy, though. Uh, Moving out now, though, to the final bill to mention at the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Um... Two fights really to mention over here. Ray Robinson, the home fighter from Philly, 24 and 3 with one draw now. He took on Igis Kavalowskis, the man that blitzed David Abanessian, to be completely honest. But Igis Kavalowskis um, actually got held to a majority draw. So uh, that one was for the NABF welterweight title. Yeah, not too impressive there from Kavalowskis. And topping the bill, Alexander Gvozdik, he put his WBC world light heavyweight title on the line against Dudu and Gumbu, who's now 38 and nine a tko in round five for gavosdik it was a strange one really um i saw the tape of of um ungumbu before the fight and they were saying you know what does it mean to your family he's he's from a real poverty stricken place and they said what does it mean to your family that you're a boxer fighting for a world title when he actually started crying and you know to see a man that tough cry it kind of 
kind of makes you think, do you know what, I like this guy, I want to get behind this guy, I want to see him do well, I want to see him achieve great things, well, yeah, it just wasn't to be, it was a decent-ish fight while it lasted, but unfortunately, something happened with his leg, I think he, he pulled his calf muscle or something, and he just couldn't continue, because his leg had gone, he couldn't really walk properly on the leg, and uh, yeah, that was what it was, so TKO, because he uh, pulled a muscle on his leg, or twisted his ankle or something like that, it was something to do with his leg, I think it was a calf injury, so very unfortunate, I mean, how how bad is that for luck, in a world title fight, on the biggest stage possible, and that kind of thing happens there, that's his ninth loss, probably be his final world title fight there, but that's about it for the review part of the show, just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do of course is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO middleweight world champion himself. It is, of course, Mr. Peter Quillin. Peter, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my my pleasure, Peter. So, of course, you turned pro back in 2005 now, almost 15 years as a pro coming up soon. Um, I, of course, just want to go back and visit that, that excellent night for yourself on October 20th in 2012. Yourself against Hassan and Dam. You were both 27-0. and 0. Uh, You came out victorious after dropping and Dam six times. Uh, please tell us about that fight. Can it ever be topped, that success there for you, Peter? Well, it's gonna be tough. I think every 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 matchup could be tough, but I don't, I'm not looking to do that. I'm looking to create every moment to be different from the next one. So you know, um, that one is, is one of my past experiences, one of my greatest experiences. But you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're looking to create more moments and and shift the middleweight division. And of course, you won the world title that night. You gathered three successful defenses. Uh, then of course you vacated it. Looking back now, Peter, have you got any regrets about that part of your career? No, I don't ever have regrets, or I don't dwell on anything in the past. I think it always shaped you to be a better man in the future. I like that mindset, my friend. And the Andy Lee fight, I just want to visit that also. I mean, you were coming off a year layoff. I remember staying up late that night to watch the fight. A brilliant fight. You were both down during the fight. You fought to a draw. What was that like? What's what's Andy's power like, Peter? I mean, really top notch classy fight for me, you know. You know, I I was having weight problems during that fight and um I'm pretty sure, you know, that, that fight was a, a good memorable fight for me as well because of, you know, who Andy Lee was and, you know, following the story for so many years and I actually got to, you know, fight him. It was a it was a it was a, it was my pleasure. So I am glad to be able to have that fight underneath my underneath my belt. Yeah, it was a fantastic fight, like I say. And then, of course, you went on to beat Zarafa. You stopped him in five. Then came the Daniel Jacobs fight. And I I picked you very strongly to win that fight. I remember having no doubt in my mind that you'd win that fight. And obviously, it went horribly wrong. You were stopped in a round. What seemed to go wrong there without dwelling in the past, like you say, too much, Peter? Well, I think that fight it made me better as a person. You know, and it happened. I lost to a better fighter. And, um, you know, he's going on to do great things. But... You know, um, we're looking to create new moments, and I'll put that fight behind. And obviously, after that, you were away from the ring for two years. I know that you, uh, your partner, had a had a baby. Um, what kept you away for for such a long time, Peter? It seemed like you were gone forever. I mean, I I missed you. I know a lot of boxing fans missed you. What kept you away so long? Um, what kept me away so long is just like trying to find my way, trying to find who I was trying with. You know, where would I be? You know, where I was at, where so I stand with my family. You know, it's just a lot of different things. But, you know, all the timing and the right moment for me to come back, it was set up for the right time. 
and you've returned back. You've had two wins now. Uh, you're, you're up at super middleweight. Obviously, the first win against Deshaun Johnson, and most recently, a win back in August over Jay Leon Love. Do you feel better at super middleweight, or you know, are you only up at super middleweight because 160 was a struggle? I mean, how are you feeling at 168, Peter? I feel very good. I feel everything down to the science. It's a better weight class. I feel strong. Um, this is the way that I'm supposed to be at, and I should have been here a long time ago, but we're going to just create some moments at 168 pounds, and I'm going to stay focused. And your next fight, you'll be taking on Caleb Truax, a man that's been on this podcast a bunch of times in the past. The fight takes place on April 13th in Minnesota. What do you know about Truax, Peter? I know he was a former sparring partner. We had a couple of sparring partners, um, sparring sessions with each other. Um, you know, we got some experience with each other. So, but you know, it's all around a good quality fight for the fans. Hopefully, they 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 tune in and they 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 agree with me when I say that it's going to be animal status written all over this fight. And Truax mentioned a particular sparring session. I believe he said it took place back in 2012 uh, before the the Endam fight for you. And he actually said as soon as the spar ended, he felt like he would be able to beat you in a fight if that happened. Um, What can you tell us about the spar? Was it perhaps more competitive than you'd expect? I I, I gave him an uppercut and knocked his head off. He called it a malfunction. I called it a punch that knocked his head across the ring. I had everybody in the wild card looking at the ring. You can't really judge what he do. Like, he went in the spine, and I had other spine partners. So he would come in, and a guy come in after him. So, like, when you see the way I work, it's like, what do you actually see? Like, I never met nobody ever to say they, they sparred somebody and then what they will be able to do in a fight. I'm a totally different fighter. His track record is not even on my level to be able to say, though, make a comment like that. So... I don't pay no mind to it. There's no way he can get in my head about that. You know, like, I don't even expect him to be the same man I was fine. Like, even though I felt like I was whooping his ass, excuse my language, but, like, I don't feel like, you know what I'm saying, I can even expect to fight that same guy I was sparring. I'm trying to get the, I'm trying to get the best Caleb Turex and I'm trying to get him. That's the one that I'm trying to beat. And of course, you know, you're right in saying that you've both come on since then. You become a world champion. He became a world champion. Those two back-to-back fights he had with James DeGale. What are you expecting from him, Peter? Will it be Will it be a competitive fight, this one? Do you anticipate that? Or do you feel like you're still levels above the likes of Truex? I'm a dominator. Okay. I'm a dominator. When I say dominator, man. I mean, when I say dominator, it's like he's going to put up whatever he's going to be able to do, and then I'm going to dominate him. I'm going to be able to, I'm going to control the whole pace of the fight. Do you see yourself perhaps stopping Truex, or, or do you see this going to the decision, if you want that's, to say? That's, I've never I've never been a guy that's going to stop somebody. I don't get paid for overtime, nor is it up to me if he wants to continue. If he don't, if he's not strong enough, he's not, he's going to, he's going to fall down, he's not going to get back up. If he's a strong fighter, he's going to get back up. So, like, that's up to him. Okay, and I'm guessing you must have one eye on the champions at 168. I mean, what are you making right now of the division? Of course, you've got the likes of Anthony Durrell, David Benavidez, Callum Smith, Caleb Plant, Gilberto Ramirez, Billy Joe Saunders is actually moving up to 168 also. You've got Eubank Jr. knocking around. Real exciting division right now. I crossed that road after I went on once, so I get to it, but nothing is possible around me being Caleb Turex right now. Okay, I want to get your view on one other fight that's happening at middleweight, if you don't mind, Peter. Um, Daniel Jacobs, your former opponent, takes on Canelo May the 4th. How do you see that one unfolding? Good fight. 
it's a definitely top quality fight. Daniel Jacobs definitely got the confidence to be a winner. Kello Canelo is a superstar for the sport right now, so it'll be an interesting fight to see. All right, and coming down to the last couple questions, Peter, I'd like to ask this question to everybody that we speak to from overseas. Um, who's your favorite UK fighter from any era? It can be a guy that's still fighting now. It can be a guy that's retired years and years ago. Who comes to mind when I ask you that question, sir? Man, there's so many in the name that is just, you know, I had a, the, the decency to spar um, Carl Frotch. I got to spar him. You know? Wow. Um, you know, Amir Khan, you know, I'm really good friends with him. Uh, it's tons of guys that I want, I'll just be limiting myself because there's so many guys out there that's like, I just love the whole, you know, state of boxing there. They, they seem like they support their fighters. You know, like Anthony Joshua right now is the one that's the hot ticket. You know what I'm saying? So I would just say, you know, if it's an example that the UK can set for American fans is to support their fighters. And, you know, you've got a you've got a fan base over here, Peter. Not a lot of guys, you know. Are... Do I? I want to come over there. Man. Exactly, exactly. Invite me over there. Hey, the the, the invites. I would love to come. The there. invites open, but listen, please just just send a message to anyone that's listening to this interview from overseas over here. Uh, you know, your UK supporters. What's your message to the guys that support you here this side of the water, sir? Man, I'm so I'm, I'm I have a pleasure to be able to be. You know, have fans in the UK is a, is a pleasure of mine. I'm, 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 I will be blessed to be able to come there and see you guys soon and um, spend time with you guys. And hopefully, um, you know, um, you guys will get me over there very, very soon. Yeah, like I say, I mean, a win over Truax, that opens up a lot of doors. Of course, you've got the likes, like I said, of, of uh, you know, Chris Eubank Jr., of Callum Smith. So hopefully we do get to see you over here in the near future, Peter. But listen, it truly has been a pleasure of mine having you on this week's show. Thank you for your time and best of luck for April 13th. Thank you. God bless you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show I has. Not too much has gone on. What have you got for us? Right. Um, obviously, due to Cash Alif uh, biting David Price, he has now been suspended by the British Board Control. Yeah, no surprise. I don't really want to go into it too much. I kind of aired my frustrations with with what he did in part one. Very stupid, but you know he's got what's you know what he deserved. Really, I suppose I don't want to see him doing that again. There's no need for it. I mean, unless you're gonna do a full Mike Tyson and take chunks out of someone's ear, then there's no point. <laughs> no, I'm only playing. He shouldn't be doing that. Silly, silly stuff. And he's now being being made to pay the price. That's it for the news, Ayaz, yeah? That's it for the news. Okay, short and sweet from Ayaz. Moving out now to the preview part of the show. Very, very uh, limited amount of fights, really, um, this weekend. We're going to start. This is another crazy one. We're going to start in Dubai, okay, at the Emirates Golf Club. Um, there's one fight to mention on this bill, and this is pretty crazy here. Uh, David Oliver Joyce, a Irishman, takes on Stephen Tiffany, ten and one, a Scotsman, and uh, David Oliver Joyce, nine and zero. Oh, like I say, both men, Irish and Scottish, they're fighting for a European featherweight strap, the vacant WBO European featherweight title in Dubai. It just sounds pretty crazy, but it is happening. It's an MTK show, so shout out there to Lee Eaton. Um, that one would be crazy. I'm, I'm wondering how many media are flying out there from the UK to Dubai for that one. I wouldn't. 
couldn't imagine too many. Um, moving out now to Germany at Bayern at the Bauhaus Forum. Over here we have um, heavyweight prospect, a guy here that I'm quite interested in, to be honest. His name's Peter Mylas, and the reason why I'm interested in him. He's undefeated, 13-0 with 10 knockouts. He's only 23. He actually stopped Kevin Johnson in eight rounds. So he did something that Nathan Gorman couldn't do. He did something that Daniel Dubois couldn't do. And for that reason there, it makes me think, hey, this guy is probably quite a good fighter. He's uh, he's six foot four and a half. like I say, 23, a Croatian fighter. Perhaps one to look out for in the future. He fights here for the vacant EBU European Union heavyweight title, so not the proper... Uh, European strap, but anyway, he takes on a guy called Cyril Leonette, who's 15 and 10 with three draws, I'm not really expecting him to, you know, cause my last any problems, I think it's an easy way to pick up a another belt, really, but one thing I will say about Leonette, he took uh, Tony Yoka five rounds, he got stopped though, um, aside from that, no real other names to mention there, um, but yeah, that's it for Germany. Moving out now to Guatemala. This one is a crazy, crazy, crazy fight. It's happening at, uh, at a venue called the Guatemala City Boxing Stadium, I think it is. Um, over here, a guy called Lester Martinez is making his debut in a six-rounder. Nothing wrong with that, but there is a problem with his opponent. His opponent, Ricardo Mayorga, you may remember. Absolute nutcase. I was just watching his videos the other day where he smacked the behind of Shane Mosley's uh, girlfriend. That was absolutely unbelievable uh, when, of course, Mayorga and Mosley had their final fight and, and Mosley stopped him with that body shot. He's a complete nutcase, Mayorga. Um, a good fighter, though. I mean, he, he was a complete nutcase and he achieved some fantastic things. But anyway, he's, brilliant. he's being brought back here. He's way past his best. He hasn't fought, I think, for a couple of years. We've seen pictures of him asleep in gas stations in South America. But anyway, he's back here. He's record 32-11 and 11 with one draw. And you, you're probably going to ask me, what weight's that at then? Because Mayorga, you know, he's fought light in his career. Where is he? What, what, what weight's he fighting at? Light heavyweight. Unbelievable. I really want to see if there's any fight pictures of that because his belly must be absolutely huge. Um, moving out now though to Poland at the Spodek in Katowice. One fight to mention, or two, three fights to mention over here. Damian Jonak, that guy with a real padded record, 41-0 and 0 with one draw. This fight was supposed to happen one or two times before. I think this is the second or third time it's been rescheduled. I think it was supposed to take place in December. He takes on our very own Andrew Robinson, a man that gave a hard fight to Frank Buglioni, actually. His record 22-4 and four with one draw and eight-rounder there. Come on, Andrew Robinson. Show him what the British heart's all about. Show him what a proper fight is because he hasn't really been in any. Um, Damian Jonak, 41-0 and 0 with one draw. Looks great there on the eye, but hasn't really boxed anyone. But also on the bill for the vacant Republic of Poland international heavyweight title. Unbelievably, Martin Bacoli fights for this belt here. I'm not quite sure how he qualifies to fight for the for the Polish uh, heavyweight title. It doesn't doesn't look very Polish to me. But anyway, Marius Wack in the other corner, 33 and 4. And like I say, Martin Bacoli in the other corner, 11 and 1, coming off that loss to friend of the show, Michael Hunter. All the very best there to Martin Bacoli. I like the guy, to be honest with you. Good fighter. He just wasn't good enough to beat Michael on that night there. Uh, moving up the card once again, Robert Parzuzuski. Definitely seen him before. 22 and 1. Um, I've definitely seen him before. He fights for the vacant Republic of Poland, the international super middleweight title against Dmitry Chudinov. Certainly seen him before. Seen him take on uh, 
Chris Eubank Jr. and absolutely eat those uppercuts like they didn't even hurt. 21-4 and four with two draws, Trudenov. And the final bill to mention at the Clackamas Armory in a place called Clackamas in Oregon, USA. Friend of the show, Steve Forbes. We had him on a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's now 43 years of age, I believe it is. 35 wins, 14 losses. He's in a seven-rounder, which is really weird. Real, real weird stuff there. Seven-rounder against... Tavoris Teague, who's now 6-25 and 25 with four draws. It's an easy, um, well, you'd imagine it's an easy fight back for Steve Forbes. Hasn't been in the ring for, um, oh, the stats have left my head now. I think he hasn't been in the ring, was it four years? And he, he's coming off six back-to-back losses. He said that some of them have been controversial, but I'd love to see him win the fight. And if he has got you know, anything left, then perhaps he can uh, achieve a couple of realistic stuff after that. But, you know, if he's if he's, if he's he's just not good enough, then I'd like him to find out on that first fight before he puts his body through any other unnecessary pain, really. You know, I'd like to see him uh, win that fight easy, or if it's a real struggle, then just don't even think about it, Steve. Good man. Uh, he's still got his wits about him. Good fighter. And, uh, yeah, 20 years. Well, 19 years since he won his world title and he wants to be a contender 20 years later. All the very best to you, Steve Forbes. But that is about it for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap up the entire show, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a boxing manager with a bit of a buzz around him right now. It is, of course, Mr. Neil Marsh. Neil, welcome to the show. Hi, Joey. You okay? Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure, Neil. It truly is. So, like I said, I don't want to keep you too long, Neil. I just simply want to discuss a couple of things. Uh, two of your men were fighting on on uh, on Saturday for, for European titles. Obviously, Robbie Davies Jr. in Liverpool, David Avanesian in Bilbao. On paper, Robbie, I think, was probably the slight favourite. Avanesian was, was a total underdog. Uh, but both of your men were able to rip the European titles away from the reigning champions. You were sat ringside for Robbie in Liverpool on Saturday night, so let's start there. What did you make of his performance, Neil? Brilliant. Yeah, Robbie. Robbie's a tough boy. Um, he, he had to grind to win out. We know it was a close fight, but you know, before I stood up into the ring, you know, I said to my team, "We've got this." I had it by three. Um, one of the judges had it one one five, one one four, one one five, one one three. The other judge was a little bit uh, wider, but we all know a fight what can be one twenty one away can be. Uh, a very tough war. Um, as for Robbie's performance, he, he had to dig in deep. Um, spoke to him after the fight. Um, he he's a lot better than this, Robbie. Um, you know, nothing against his performance. He really, really grinded hard. Joe Hughes is a lot trickier than people people give credit for. Um, he come, he, he he brought his air game. Robbie had to adjust inside the fight. Um, what can I say? He became European champion, mate. You know, can he box a little bit better? Of course he can. But ultimately, he grinded the performance out, and I'm I'm ecstatic now. I'm I'm, I'm very pleased with how with how we dug deep against a smaller man, the aggressor. You know, he, he took him into the trenches, and Robbie showed that he can also go in the trenches as well. He's not also that just that distance fighter uh, and counterpunch you what people think. He, he he can fight as well, mate. So I'm very very pleased with it. 
Yeah, me too. I mean, it was a brilliant performance. Like I say, I think a lot of people were perhaps overlooking Joe Hughes in the build-up, but Joe Hughes is strong as an ox, and like I say, it wasn't an easy task for Robbie, but a brilliant brilliant thing for him. He's had quite the journey now, but elsewhere in Bilbao, no judges were needed whatsoever here. David Avanesian got the knockout in the ninth round. The thing that makes this win even sweeter is obviously that unfortunate situation where the Josh Kelly fight fell through on the day of the fight. It seemed like David didn't really have anywhere to turn especially in terms of getting the same kind of payday but he's gone away and he's won a proper title here against a proper fighter in proper style please tell us about it Neil oh I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm, I'm ecstatic with this uh, I know I know the promoter Kerman Laranga uh, we nearly did the fight uh, 12 14 months ago um, I think it was before the skate fight now obviously um, the Kavalowski's fight came up which was practically an eliminator for Terence Crawford. We we had to move on from the Laranga fight. They went another way, where we went another way, um, and ultimately we revisited it. Um, people say about how hard the fight is. We know we know that it was a dangerous fight. We know his record. We know what he's done to British kids. But after the Josh Kelly disappointment, what we what we did do, we, we sat tight for the last year. Because when you're on the back of an heavy loss and you've lost your world title, getting that right fight at the right time is, is, is crucial for David. And I, I, I was a little bit tired of people saying, oh, he's a dangerous man. I'm sick of him. And I'm sick of these comments being said about it all the time. And collectively, me, Carl Greaves, the team, we knew David could beat Kerman. Now it's if David turned up. I'm not, I'm not going to say he's saying we knew that that had happened because that's not true. But we knew that David was capable. Like most of the people in the UK know if he turns up, he can do a number on people. I've seen it at high-level sparring. I'm not going to go into names. David can really fight when when he turns up. And, you know, going to Bilbao, um, added extra to it. It was 10,000 people. I'm absolutely gutted I wasn't there. But I had to split my duties. You know, as a manager, both fights are equal. You'd normally pick the biggest fight. Two European titles. I did the week in Bilbao with David, and then I did the fight night with Robert in uh, in Liverpool. And everybody says about Kerman, the tactics were absolutely spot on. Um, it was hurting him to the body, counter punching, don't don't stand still, and it worked to perfection. And you know what what can I say? The performance was, was exceptional, especially in Kerman's backyard. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the one kind of thing that I think a lot of people were a little bit worried about, going out there to the backyard, a place where it seemed to obviously uh, bother the likes of Bradley Skeet, but obviously David's well-travelled. I didn't really think the the occasion would get to him. I said that on last week's show. Um, if I'm not mistaken, did he have Leharaga down once or twice in the earlier rounds? Yeah, he had him down in, in round four. Um, he caught him with a right hook to the head. Um it was perfect. You know, knowing how, how powerful he is and how David's defence was absolutely exceptional. And, you know, going away to Spain, you're always against the judges and sometimes people go and want to throw 50, 60 punches, 100 punches, whatever, to outwork the Spaniard in his own backyard. But it was more finesse and more precise work what Greaves had, had instructed and Collectively, we decided to hurt him to the body, chiseling away at him. Work, you know, instead of trying to win on the points, David was always going to come on strong. As you say, he's very well travelled. He's been in America three times. He's been Monte Carlo, the UK. 
he, he wasn't going to be facing Bilbao. We've, we're not just that the team's been together a long time. There's Alan Levine and Carl Greaves, and you know we've been in hostile environments. Same as the Shane Mosley fight. It was, you know, we're, we're very experienced with it. So you know, we was all prepared for it, mate. And going on to another man that you manage, of course you manage the undefeated British super middleweight champion, Zach Parker. Following Zach's fight with Williams, he of course had to undergo some surgery. How's he getting on at the minute? A lot of people were dying to see him fight again. Yeah, he he, um, he had a, a very serious injury. He detached his shoulder in three places. Um, we got him in Manchester with a leading shoulder surgeon, Len Funk. We did... Um, he did the procedure before Christmas. He had a nice month of easy rehab and, and rest. And he, de- he then went to Blackpool and has committed two months of his life um, out of his comfort zone, leaving Derby at five o'clock on a Monday morning and being in Blackpool all week with a leading physio in Jamie, Jamie Murphy, who was the head of the sports physio department at Manchester City under Roberto Mancini, real top-level physio. His rehab has gone, gone to perfection. Um, we're ready to get him signed off there will be a fight announcement soon um, so just watch this space all I know is we, we did touch base with with the rematch with Daryl Williams and uh, Frank Warren's team and it's just Daryl Williams has gone missing um, so you know hopefully we can revisit that fight but we're not going to hang around for anybody um, and, and there should be an announcement in due course and I don't want to miss anyone out. We've mentioned Avanessian, we've mentioned uh, we've mentioned Zach, and of course we've just mentioned Robbie. Um, have I left anyone out? Is there anyone else that we should be mentioning here? No, not at all. Just um, you know, I, I, I've been slowing down with my stable of fighters. I've only got the three fighters now. Um, you know, and 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 I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy where we are. Boxing's such a tough sport with the with the promoting and different things. And you know, I have a lot of outside. Uh, interesting, different things. So I've got these three kids. Um, I'm absolutely determined to take all three of them to a world title, and I'm going to throw all my power, endeavours, anything I possibly can at, at making this happen. The only people I'd like to mention is there's out there. There's, you know, you get people who support you, you get people who you get haters, you get different things. But anybody who has supported me on my journey, because it's not just about what the manager did. Ultimately, it's what the fighters do inside the ring. They're the number one. But we also have a lot of people around us, like good coaches, strength and conditioning. We have good physios. And, and I'd just like to say thank you to each and every one of them because without it, um, it wouldn't be possible. And whether you're buying a ticket for the lads or you're, you're, you're helping them train in the gym, I'm just so grateful for all, all the people who support us on this journey. Oh, nice. Um, and, and finally, I should have probably asked you this a, a few minutes ago. Um, that, that Josh Kelly fight that seemed to just you know disappear... This win that David's had, does this push it further away, do you think, or perhaps closer? Yeah, you know, um, there was a lot made of the Josh Kelly pullout. Me and Adam Booth know what went on. I don't need to come onto your station and start calling him anymore. My statement made it loud and clear what I thought, and I still stand by everything I said. The the Josh, Josh Keller, we... we we wanted that fight. I asked Paul Reddy and Eddie a few times, and obviously they're going to do what's best for Josh. Everybody thought Avenisian was on the way down. David Avenisian would have beat Josh Kelly that night. I've got absolutely no doubt about it. We've sat, we've waited, we waited for the right opportunity, and there was other offers which you know, which wasn't right. So we we, we took the Lord anger. But going on to on to Josh Kelly again, 
I wish any fighter all the best. I know I was very hard on him on social media. I know I was very hard on Adam Boven. I do stand by my words, but I'm not going to carry it on now and start being criticising. But the Josh Kelly fight, I'm sure, will happen at some point in life. But why look back at what happened last year? You know, we got we got really, really let down that night. You know, we, we, we got promised a rematch. Um, I asked Eddie Earn a few times. He was so-called topping a bill in Newcastle. Um, I think with Lewis Rickson, you know, tweets were going out that he's now no longer on the bill. He was moving up to light middleware. I was just very sceptical of everything. And we all, we had the Laranga fight. We wanted the, the Josh Kelly fight, but I just moved on. And, and going forward, when you've been, you know, on the receiving end of such treatment, I, 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 I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't want to revisit that. Now, if Eddie comes up and makes us the right proposal, the right, you know, the right circumstances, not just, you know, do you want this fight? Do you want Kelly? And, you know, we we, we need confidence in taking that fight. David Avenisian has fought Lamont Peterson, Kavalowski, he's fought, Shane Mosley's been in all these backyards everywhere. He, he's a real, real fighting man. And he will fight, there's no question, especially with the Laranga fight, that he will fight Josh Keller. He will fight him in a small sports centre, he'll fight him on a big Joshua bill, he'll fight him anywhere. But as a team, we're deflated over that fight. If Eddie gets on it, the course will open negotiations. But ultimately, there is a rematch clause in place with Kerman Laranga. Um, the very, very good people, the people of Spain, um, you, you know, they deserve the rematch. You know, I've, I signed the document, and ultimately we need to uh, to, to oblige with that um, rematch. But if anything happens with that, because it wasn't heavy beating what Kerman took, they may not want it. I think they've told me they want it, but until that point, we're not in a decision to take any other fights or negotiate any other fights. So for now, it's all on the Kerman Laranga rematch. Um, if anything happens with that, obviously we, we'll, we'll look at what's about. But after that, I'm looking for a world title. You know, I have delivered a few world titles for me, lads, and I will deliver d- deliver one for David again. But I don't see any difference in the result with Laranga. I think he'll beat him again if we do have to go to Spain again. But other than that, Josh Kelly's not on me far. So I wish him and Adam all the best. You know, I was very critical of him, but I've moved on from that now, Julian, and, 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 and that's it. You know, that's life, I suppose. So for me, Josh Kelly, we will revisit if needed, if Eddie comes and gives us security, etc. But ultimately, at the moment, mate, it's not it's not on my radar in any way. No, that's completely understandable. Like I say, David picking up that, that big title there on Saturday night, I feel like he's in a position of power himself now, um, a much better one than before. Um, any closing words, Neil, just before we let you go? I know you've got other things to do. No, not at all. Thank you for your time. I don't do many interviews. I think every time you... Boxing managers, promoters, they get a lot of haters attracting them and different things. So I try, <laughs> I try not to do them, but that's life, I suppose. Um, just, I'm ecstatic, mate. And thank you to the fan support. Thank you for your recognition. Anybody who's recognised what happened, but ultimately it was the lads who did it for me. And, and words cannot explain in such a tough sport how delighted I am at what the lads did that night. I'm so proud of them. So... That's my closing note, man. Thank, thank you for your time. Excellent, Neil. Excellent. Listen, it, it is a pleasure having you on the show. I think you're probably the first manager that we've had on this podcast, so you'll always be our first. Congrats once again on gaining two new European champions on the weekend, and we'll catch up again soon, Neil. Thank you very much for your time, man. Take care, mate. 
Okay, and this wraps up episode 181 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the former WBO middleweight world champion, Peter Quillin. He was definitely one of the most relaxed boxers that we've ever had on the show. And also a massive thank you to boxing manager, Mr. Neil Marsh, which was a real enjoyable interview. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the Prediction League currently stands at myself in the lead on 99 points. I as and you, the Listeners are now tied on 92 points. This is because I gained three points last week with my uh, my Davies Jr. by decision, Gavosdik by knockout, and Smith by KO predictions. Um, you, the listeners, also gained three points by choosing the exact same predictions as me. And Ayaz, he only gained two points. He went with Gavosdik by knockout and Davies Jr. on points, but he thought that Smith would win on points and not get the knockout. That obviously didn't happen. It is, remember, it is first to 100. I'm very, very close. There's no predictions this weekend as there aren't really any big, juicy fights going on. Uh, there have been one or two bits of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Jordan Gill will now be talking in a next-gen show in Nottingham on May 10th when he fights Enrique Tinoco. Tinoco, a guy that has been in there with the likes of Miguel Roman. He actually got stopped in his one-stoppage defeat to Miguel Roman, but he's also gone the distance with the likes of Devin Haney and Mario Barrios, two other real good prospects that have been on this show, actually. Um, his record is 17-5 and five with four draws. Also on that same card, Lee Wood defends his Commonwealth featherweight strap against the former belt holder, Mr. Ryan Doyle. Uh, Charles Franken will also finally make his debut on that card as well. We've been waiting a little while for that. But that is about everything. Thank you all for listening once again to this week's podcast. Be sure to share, like, retweet, follow, and tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. And we shall see you all again next week.